This is the Crystal Gemcast, the analytical Stephen Universe podcast. Yes, you are listening to the Crystal Gemcast, and welcome to episode one. My name's Joseph. And I'm Mommy. And we are here to talk about Stephen Universe. And if you think we can't, well, we'll always find a way. And now, a message from the future. Hey, there's going to be spoilers. I thought we'd uh, start this first episode mostly talking about the show and its influences, because we need to start with a light topic. And I thought the best way we could start is if we just talk a bit about how each of us discovered the show. So uh, how did you discover the show? Honestly, I've been hearing about the show for a while, but to me it was just another cartoon cartoon show, well, unofficially. And since around like Chowder and Flapjack, I hadn't been keeping up with Cartoon Network shows. Then about a few months back, a uh, friend of mine linked me to the ending song from the uh, time travel episode, and uh, I fell in love with the show instantly. And so I promptly, three months later, started watching the show episode by episode, and... It's amazing, and I, I love it, and that's basically how I got to the show. You? Well, for me, it really started with um, Adventure Time. I'm reasonably big Adventure Time fan. I was going through the big backlog, and then I heard that one of the people that were making it, that is uh, Rebecca Sugar, she'd started her own show. I thought, oh, that's good. I'll have a, I'll have a look. So I watched one or two episodes, and I was like, yeah, that's all right. It's not too bad. But I was still, like... I had a lot on my plate at the time, and I was, you know, there was still a lot of adventure time to get through. And then, about recently, then I heard about the crossover between uh, this show and the other, another show called Uncle Grandpa. Please note, the Crystal Gemcast are well aware that Joseph may have lost all of his credibility within the first three minutes. Now, um, I'd ne- never heard of Uncle Grandpa, but I thought to myself, you know, I might as well just check this out. It seems like a big thing, and you know, maybe I'll see a bit more of Steven Universe. And I really, really liked the episode. I thought to myself, well, wow, this has come on leaps and bounds since I last saw it. And then a day later, I just went and started watching it from the beginning. And I managed to clear through the whole thing in about a week or so. Admittedly, that is kind of easier because it's a lot shorter than Adventure Time that's been going for about five years now. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, so, I mean, this has only been going for about a year, which is crazy. I mean, a lot's, lots happened in a year. I know. I think it's good to start actually off with Adventure Time. Now, I'm unfamiliar with the show, uh, so um, what would you say connects Adventure Time to Cineven Universe, and what's Adventure Time like? I've only seen, like, one episode. Okay, Adventure Time, it's weird. Starting from the beginning, I think people found it a bit alienating, because suddenly, poof, you were there, and all the main characters were there, and they were in the graveyard, and then suddenly they were doing experiments or something, and suddenly there was a zombie outbreak. And it sort of introduced the characters to you as if treating you as if you already knew who they were. A lot of people found that really difficult to get. But um, I think that as the show went on, it introduced you to the characters bit by bit. And it also um, introduced the backstory. Because the main thing about a lot of these shows, and I think that's what Adventure Time brought to Steven Universe, is there is a lot of backstory. And we don't, the audience doesn't get given, you know, like in Star Wars, you have the big scrawly text bit. Right. Which says, you know, gives you the basic overview of where it starts. And um, with this, I mean, even Stephen Universe, it starts off sort of like Stephen's ordinary day. I mean, no day is ordinary for Stephen. Right. But, it, I mean, it does introduce, you know, here's Stephen. He's part of a group called the Crystal Gems. He's being looked after by four, well, which we find out later, aliens. But that they don't even make that clear at the beginning, do they? Yeah, honestly, I thought it was just going to be a superhero thing or it's like a monster or a weak kind of thing. Which it kind of was from the beginning, but that's the thing. They grab you with the Monster of the Week thing, and they start to weave things in. But, uh, but when I say that, I, meant, I thought more in the style of, like, a Ben 10 or Danny Phantom or something. Yeah, I can understand that. But that's the thing with shows like Adventure Time, Steven Universe. Um, they really started to not be afraid of treating the audience as being smart. <laughs> But, you know, some people are quite cynical about audiences, especially about kids. Oh, yeah. I've always found that children, you know, if you treat your children as, as being smart, they get it most of the time. You know, they they, they can follow plots and storylines and stuff. I mean, a lot of the shows I watched as a kid, they didn't, they weren't scared of um, putting a story right front and centre and asking their kids to think. I think it's probably more of a, um, 
modern thing or certainly like cash grab? Oh, I don't know. I think some of it has to be nostalgia goggles because uh, to me, when I was like seven, uh, Are You Afraid of the Dark was the pinnacle of writing. I did trust you and you got us lost, Cheeseball. Great lame wad. Now we're lost and we can't read the map. You are such a loser. When I look back on it and their abuse of the fisheye lens and the plots that are so opaque that you pretty much know what's going to happen from the just the title of the story. Do you mean transparent? Yes, transparent. <laughs> yes, if it was... I don't know, I've always thought that it was kind of opaque. It was a bit of a weird show. I've, I especially like the one where they... Um, you know, the one with the aliens? Uh, which one with the aliens? Because there were, like, there were multiple ones. Floor 13. Uh, Mystery of Floor 13 or Apartment 13 or something. Uh, I don't remember that one. I do remember the Gilbert Gottfried episode, though. Oh, I didn't know he was in it. We're getting off topic, yes. though. Um, <laughs> the other thing that Adventure Time gives to Steven Universe, it sort of has this freedom to it. Like, a lot of other shows, they sort of tied it down in its format. And um, with Adventure Time, I always felt like you could watch a show about anything. And it didn't even have to have the main characters in it. And I think that with Steven Universe, generally, as you'll always pretty much have Steven in it. But... It's how Steven reacts to his world. So oftentimes you won't have the gems, or you, you might have him with one of the gems, and then with... Um, or like with Greg or Sadie or Lars. Oh, yeah. I mean, obviously he's going to spend quite a lot of time with his dad or his friends. Right. So that makes sense, too. But then you see you get episodes where he's spending time with the mayor, which, are, you know, sort of comes oh, out man. of nowhere. That, that was a treat for me, because I'm a huge MST3K fan. And... I never noticed. What, what's, the, what's the link? Oh, uh, Joel Hodgson voices uh, Mayor Dewey. Oh, wow. I didn't even realize that. Yeah. I mean, I, I never really watched MST. I didn't, I didn't realize it at first myself. Uh, just sort of that vague, that voice sounds familiar feeling. And then I uh, started looking things up, uh, the cast and stuff. I'm like, oh, hey, Kate McCoochie's in here. And Wait, is, is that Joel Hodgson? I mean, for me... I always get that feeling whenever Joe DiMaggio's doing anything. It's like, why is these people sounding a bit like Bender? And I look it up, oh, oh, that's why, because it's the guy that did Bender. Uh, I've run into that a few times with Jim Cummings. Well, that guy just does a million voices. Oh, man. Some people like um, people like Tara Strong, Ashley Ball. Like, a lot of these voice actors, they're in so many things they can put on so many voices. And you're like, you get shows where someone's like five characters... And they're all talking to themselves in different voices. <laughs> and I don't know how they do it. They're, I don't know how their brains don't explode. Oh, man. So, um, regarding the freedom of the show, I read in, a, in an interview uh, regarding uh, Adventure Time that apparently the staff has a lot of free reign at Adventure Time. And that uh, it influenced the way Rebecca Sugar handled the staff of Steven Universe, giving them lots of freedom and letting them do their own thing to help shape the show, and I think that's really shown through a lot, uh, given what we've talked about. When you look at whoever's storyboarding the episode, whoever's writing it, they'll bring their different views to it, but you also know the people that make the show, they know where they want it to go, but they're quite malleable for the details, so people can just mm -hmm. chip in what they like, and as long as it doesn't go against it, then they can add it in, and it, that sort of thing really adds a lot of... Um, it really fleshes out the world, which is something that I think both Adventure Time and Steven Universe really focus on. Yeah, there's a lot of world building in here. I mean, the only cartoon uh, these days that uh, does that is uh, the Avatar series. Oh, yeah, that's true. But that was all about politics and stuff, wasn't it? It was all about big world-changing occurrences. Well, true, and but it didn't start as such. I mean, uh, it, it worlds builds in a very particular fashion in that it starts off with, you know, isolated town, and then it goes to, well, familiar location, then familiar location, and then we're just sort of like Legos or ba uh, a barrel of monkeys where you just sort of keep going and pass where you intentionally wanted to. Yeah, it sort of unfolds. Yeah. Yeah, I think you have a point there. It's, it's the way that adventure shows go. Some really try and box it in, try and make it, you know, very Monster of the Week. But then you've always had shows like, like Gargoyles. And oh, man, those were the days. I remember, especially remember uh, Beast Wars. That took a lot of chances. Oh, man. I never got into uh, Transformers as a kid, but I did really get into a lot of the commercials and stuff that would have happened. With well, it. I mean, I was never into Transformers, but Beast Wars was particularly good. Um, I especially remember that one, but I think that's also because what we got... 
Um, same with Reboot. I mean, Reboot is a show that started off like that episode. I, I love Reboot until uh, it started replacing uh, slots where uh, Tenchi in Tokyo was supposed to have the climax of its plot in Toonami, and then I just sort of never forgave the show, even though it had nothing to do with what happened. You couldn't forgive the show for replacing what is possibly the worst of all the Tenchi shows. The worst. It was the best animated. It had the better. It had a better story. Well, I think I think we're gonna have to agree to disagree there because we've got to keep moving. All right. <laughs> That's all right. We um we all get on here. Oh yeah. Now um on the pilot, uh, Gendy Tartakovsky, a very familiar uh, name for those who uh, have loved Cartoon Network shows, uh, in particularly uh, in particular a lot of the um you know the classic shows like Dexter's Lab, Johnny Bravo, uh, Samurai Jack, and Apparently, uh, he's worked on the pilot of Steven Universe, and that he and uh, Rebecca Sugar has uh, have worked on uh, Hotel Transylvania uh, from 2013-14-ish. Well, that, that makes sense. Can't say I ever watched Hotel Transylvania, but I've heard good things about it. I do, of course, remember Dexter's Lab, and especially Dexter's Lab, because... Some of the humor really translates to this. Yeah, I would I, I would say that uh, of the cartoon cartoon block of shows, that uh, Dexter's Lab and Powerpuff Girls had the most Eastern influences, uh, in particular anime influences. Or uh, in the case of Powerpuff Girls, specifically the kaiju uh, genre. Kaiju, that's the um, giant monsters, isn't it? Yes. Godzilla and all that. Yeah, I can see that. With Steven Universe... I mean, I could definitely see how um, Gendy's influence rubbed off on Rebecca Sugar. I mean, for a start, there is quite a lot of monsters in this show. Because part of it is, sometimes it's dealing with um, personal relationships, but quite a lot of the time, it's being driven by these monsters, these creatures. Right. And they're all very uh, intricately designed. You can definitely tell they spent a lot of time drawing these and working out how they work. And I, I always got that from, especially from Powerpuff Girls. Yeah. Because when you watch, the girls spent a lot of their time fighting the monsters. And I always felt that they were really, really thought, well thought out. Yeah, especially the, um, the Dynamo episode was where there was a really simple design to the monster. But, oh, the giant uh, puffer fish. The way... It was a giant puffer fish monster, I think. Yeah, the, the orange one. Yeah, I was, yeah, I, was, I remember that one. I mean, that and the fact that they were fighting in a giant robot. Well, that yeah, especially that, uh, and uh, the him episode early on where uh, he possesses um, oh that I can't remember the octopus's name. Oh, Octi. Yeah, Octi. And another thing um, that we looked into when we were looking through the influences, we found out that Rebecca Sugar's personal life also influenced this because um, she has a brother called Stephen who also actually works on the show, and she'd always wanted to make some sort of media based on him you know, for him. So she based Stephen partly on Stephen. As for the Crystal Gems themselves, she sort of based them off parts of her personality, especially at different points in her life. Like, um, I think as people, we're all a mixture of different um, different emotions and the way we act to things. Like sometimes we can be a bit neurotic and picky, and sometimes we can be sort of laid back. I mean, I know different people are more slanted towards different ways that they act, but um, in general terms, I think that, you know, our personality is made of a lot of different facets, and I think she sort of took facets from her personality and then turned them into characters. Yeah, it's not too uncommon of a thing. Uh, Ed, Ed and Eddie's entire cast was made up of the uh, creator's uh, personality. I mean, that's a lot of characters to, I think the guy's name was Danny Antonucci, I think. Yes, I can never uh, remember his name, and I also am very horrible at pronouncing it. That's all right. But yes, uh, that is a fact. And it's not just the main characters. Um, one of the characters uh, called Sadie is one of the um, one of Stephen's friends. Yeah, based off of uh, her college years, if uh, I'm reading one of the articles right. So it's interesting how you can do that, how it's not just about how you are now, that you can remember how you were before and sort of extrapolate that into characters. There are a lot of works where you can very uh, plainly see someone uh, writing themselves into a story with fa where fantastic things happen, especially in a lot of the um, teen romance novels that, uh, that are so popular these days. Or any sort of fan fiction, which is a good reason why I don't read those sort of things. <laughs> Sorry to disappoint any people that want to maybe contact us and ask to read your Steven Universe fan fiction. Uh, I probably won't be. 
Next day, I get roommate to play. He's like, <laughs> probably is not that scary. But she turned on the game and the screen was a picture of us. And but we were dead. And the scariest part of this story is that we was you and you became skeleton and wrote this. I'll read it. There we go. That, there's no problem there then. So we were talking earlier about Dexter's Lab and Powerpuff Girls. Somewhat more than we were actually talking about Steven Universe at points. But um, one of the important things that came from these shows was someone by the name of Lauren Faust. I think that's that's how we pronounce Faust anyway. And she eventually went on to do Alfonso's Home for Imaginary Friends, another Cartoon Network production. But her biggest hit at the moment is, of course, the newest uh, My Little Pony show. The reason we bring this, I'm bringing this up, though, apart from the fact that it's just this phenomenon, is quite a lot of times shows are pitched to be aimed solely at one gender. Like, you'll have the boys' shows and the girls' shows, especially if it's merchandise. And that, yeah, and especially when the like, uh, boys' shows always have action, humor, and it seems like, uh, especially in the uh, 80s and early in the 90s, female shows tended to be meandering people giggling and having tea. I mean, it wasn't always like that. I mean, you got shows like Gem and the Holograms and some other of the 80s shows. I suppose, but mostly it was just uh, Strawberry Shortcake. Oh dear, what a scary thought. Yeah. Um, the good news is that sort of barriers are starting to, to break down. Going back to Powerpuff Girls, that's the sort of show that was popular with um, generally all demographics in general, I thought. Um, and I found that like when you look at a lot of cartoons, certainly the ones from in the 90s, early 2000s, they don't think they really aimed at genders. And because of that, I thought there were stronger shows because of it. I mean, it's sort of skewed one way or the other, but right. in general terms, you didn't have... And then sort of it sort of crept back in, and that was a bit of a worry, I thought, you know, especially when certain um, shows that put toys on the market. And then, then, right. then uh, Friendship is Magic came out, and it turned out that it just caught on fire. And it was a show that was specifically, definitely aimed, targeted towards women. Periphery demographics aside. Yeah, but even so, people can argue, is this a good thing, is it a bad thing? But I do think that, in general, a cartoon is a cartoon. And if it's a good cartoon, it's going to attract people towards it. Because I'll watch anything that's good. You know, I mean, I watch science fiction, for instance, and I never, I was never like, if someone came to me and said, do you like Star Wars or do you like Star Trek? I was like, well, I like both of them. You know, if it's good. <laughs> heresy. Oh, it's not heresy, stop it. Uh, well, apparently it is. I mean, fandoms can be very polarizing. It's true. At times. But only, I think, only if people want it to be that way. Yeah. I think people get too invested, but that's just me. But the other thing I've found when it comes to, like, Friendship is Magic is it was the door that opened for more female people to go into the industry. Yeah, I mean, we've had uh, tons of uh, female writers, well, not tons, uh, per se, but We've had female writers and female creators, but they were never executive producers or they were never at the, uh, what is it called, the masthead? Yeah, they, they didn't really lead projects. In general terms, um, animation was a very male-heavy... Industry. Yes. Yeah, very male-heavy industry. But I think it's good that, when, you see, when, it, when something becomes a success, people look to see what the success is. And I think that with a lot of these things, it's a success like Venge Time, you know, because that has, I mean, I know it's run by uh, Pendleton Ward, but you see quite a lot of um, people working on it of all genders and ethnicities. And I think like same thing again with Friendship is Magic. I think with all that, it's, it's becoming more about a meritocracy. And that is a really, really important thing, I think, for any sort of creative industry or arguably any industry anyway. I think... Equality is something a lot of people strive for. If nothing else, it'll help a lot of people uh, uh, get past the glass ceiling. Which is, I think, always a good thing, especially when it uh, doesn't need to be mandated. So another um, thing that we were looking at was uh, Canadian animation. When I was looking through one of the interviews, uh, she uh, mentioned a few of her influences, and uh, one of it was just Canadian animation, and I was wondering, well, is that just a general thing, or is that a company? And I looked it up, and we found that... It surprises just how much the, that we uh, recognized. And when we're going through uh, Canadian animation, uh, Nelvana in particular, finding uh, Inspector Gadget, 
Tintin, Magic School Bus, Babar, Arthur, Ned's Newt, Chalk Zone. And uh, I, f- I, f- I find going through a lot of her uh, stated influences that uh, they're pretty much from my childhood as well, which makes sense given that she's uh, about two years older than I am. How old are you? 25. Okay, so she's about 27 then. The thing, you're 27 and you're already um, leading a project as big as Steven Universe. Makes me wonder what I've done with my life. Yeah. (laughs) Well, sometimes things just come together and honestly, you know, more power to her. Because I just enjoy seeing such strong influences from the things that I enjoyed when I was younger. Uh, seeing influences from uh, Sailor Moon, seeing uh, influences from uh, SWAT Cats, etc. and so forth. I mean, for me, like looking at the list, the one that stood out to me most was Arthur. Mm-hmm. I think because Arthur is entirely about character. You know, Arthur and his friends and his teacher, Mr. Ratburn, who is probably like the best teacher you know, you know by best teacher i mean the most accurate i think everyone's probably had at least one teacher like mr rapper in their lives just a little homework tonight just a little homework tonight i have never seen arthur i've seen franklin i've seen the busy town crazy thing with the worm and the cat oh, i used to I've... love busy town yeah but i've never seen arthur well, okay well, I was just saying that, for me at least, <laughs> it really resonates. But um, I know I'm the weird one here because uh, everybody else I know has seen Arthur and loves it. But I mean, with Arthur again, to me, why I associate with this is the fact that it's all about the interpersonal, and it, it's and it's an educational show. Arthur is um, Stephen Universe. I don't think was created to be educational, but I think for me, they also weren't afraid to tackle tough subject matter. I saw a review once of one of these episodes of Arthur and it was to do with what happened in the fire like because there was a fire in the school mm-hmm. and it was basically I mean it wasn't really an allegory but there was a lot of influence from the 9/11 attacks and I thought to myself wow to think that a show would be willing to take influence from something that what well, you know a lot of people would well, shield Well even shield. Mr Rogers talked about 9/11 that is a very good point Though Mr. Rogers really went into subjects. He went into death. Uh, he went into divorce. Uh, Steven Universe actually uh, goes into death a few times. I mean, they actually get to say the word die, killed, etc. so forth, where a lot of other shows would have to say destroyed or annihilated or something like that. I think that that's starting to get better now, but there was a point definitely when the censors were out with their little shiny little scissors cutting up any um, anything to do with death, especially if it was anime for some reason. Yeah, I, I do wonder um, what the cutting room floor of Steven Universe looks like. I don't know if they really cut much at all. Uh, I'm just talking about there's the uh, somewhat known thing from Adventure Time where uh, they were uh, where the two main characters were nude and holding pieces of wood in front of themselves. They uh, replace it with another. Being a, a dirty joke pun. You got it backwards. The wood was the replacement. It's originally going to be like beavers. Oh. Yeah. And that's sort of what I wonder, you know, uh, because with shows like uh, Steven Universe, uh, Adventure Time, uh, Animaniacs, uh, where, there, where it's definitely a show for kids, but there's plenty of content there for um, more mature humor and stuff that is aimed towards... Uh, older audiences, the 18 to 24 demo, the parents, etc. so forth. I mean, that really started, I think, with Nickelodeon. Like, they put a little bit of that into uh, Rugrats with the adults. You know, so the kids would be off doing their little silly little thing, and then the adults well, would well, be... Well, true, but I don't think... I, I do think that Warner Brothers uh, had, had capitalized on that uh, since Looney Tunes. And uh, there was definitely shows that crossed the line quite a, a bit, like Johnny Bravo. Like, uh, I, I, I watched that show... And in retrospect, I wonder what you know, just what I would have been like if I'd gotten half of those jokes. Well, I mean, I, I think that's nothing compared with some of Nickelodeon's offerings, particularly um, Angry Beavers. And I think the biggest offender for that was Rocco's Modern Life. Yeah, that show was messed up, but in a good way. And uh, Ren and Stimpy. Oh yeah, well Ren and Stimpy, that goes without saying. That was the, <laughs> I think that was probably the biggest one actually. And to a lesser extent, Cow and Chicken. Yeah, I mean, Cow and Chicken was basically 
Cartoon Network's attempt of doing Ren and Stimpy. Yeah, sort of trying to catch lightning in a bottle again. Oh, it kind of worked. They caught a little bit of the, res- the residue of the it, lightning. It was pretty good, but it wasn't as good as Ren and Stimpy, is all I'm saying. That's true. I don't think that anyone would really disagree with you on that. Uh, it's just the difference between cake and cookie cake. Cake is nice, but cookie cake is paramount. Wait, you put cake and cookies together? No, 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 just cookies with icing on it. And we call it cookie cake. Right. Okay. <laughs> I'm just going to let that slide. Uh, I don't know how you can live with yourself. Quite handily. Fair enough. So, I mean, continuing on with influences, like another thing was stated was that they were influenced by Looney Tunes. Which I think, to be fair, I think most animation people were influenced by Looney Tunes. Yeah, it's hard not to be. Uh, the uh, old grades like uh, Chuck Avery, and uh, you know, it was Tex Avery and Chuck Jones. That's it. Don't don't mix the two together. <laughs> Some sort of Frankenstein hybrid of the two. It's alive! Oh, it's alive! It's alive! It's alive! It's alive! They get a lot more done. Yeah. Uh, what was it Tex Avery and Chuck Jones had their own. Uh, entire uh, animation blocks on Cartoon Network dedicated to them uh, for quite a long time. Well, they were very distinctive. Well, true. And there's also the fact that Hanna-Barbera is behind a lot of what happens in uh, Cartoon Network. And uh, and a lot of what Cartoon Network does, even if not directly related, back to Hanna-Barbera owes a lot to it. That's very true. I mean, admittedly, though, I think part of the whole cartoon-cartoon thing was to sort of bring back the Hanna-Barbera thing, but be completely different. Modernize it. When you look at Hanna-Barbera's old stuff, they like to steal from their own show so much. Like, I mean, you get some things like Wacky Racers, and that's fine. But then they invented, they did Scooby-Doo. And then what did they do? Oh, well, they ripped it off to make Captain Caveman. And uh, Buggy, in the, what was it, Speed Buggy? Uh, Jabber Jaw, Inch High Private Eye, The Funky Phantom. Was was, ha- was Hong Kong Fui, uh Hanna Barbera? Yeah, but that was different. Hong Kong Fui is one of those ones that was actually different. When you look back at the Hanna Barbera's library, you can see a lot of really, really good ones. You know, the ones that everyone remembers, right? Like um, Wacky Racers, Top Cat, especially Top Cat. <laughs> um, you know, things like that. And then, you, then you're looking like I've never heard of most of these ones. Well. I actually was surprised this fine secret squirrel actually existed before Two Stupid Dogs because uh, I knew it from when they were trying to revive it through Two Stupid Dogs. Oh yeah, it was sort of a remake, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, um, rebrought back. But then they did they do that a lot. But yeah, there was a lot back there, and there's a lot that just seems like uh, they're rehashing old ideas. But that's just that's been done hundreds of times because when someone uh, finds success, you can almost guarantee. There's going to be a lot of people playing Follow the Leader. Oh, and undoubtedly, really. Uh, and it makes me wonder what uh, Follow the Leader will look like with this generation's Adventure Time with Steven Universe, this generation of My Little Pony Friendship is Magic, what the uh, imitators will look like. But you see, for me, I think that because we're living in a multi-channel network, they'll just die. I think for a lot of these other shows, people watch them because that's all there was. Whereas now... You've got a choice of what you want to watch. And if you don't want to watch anything on television or on streaming, you know, you can go and play a video game. You might even, shock horror, go outside. Well, I suppose. I mean, I'm still stuck in the way of thinking uh, back in the days when uh, the internet and the phone were mutually exclusive. I mean, I can just about remember those days, but most of the time I I try not to. (laughs) Although I still kind of miss DOS. I don't know why I miss DOS. Because uh, it, had, it had a lot of good games on it, but I, I still don't know how I ever uh, survived without the internet nowadays. It's It takes over one's life. Anyway, um, another um, influence cited was Tank Girl. That's a comic by Jamie Hewlett. I don't really have much to add on that, apart from the fact that Jamie Hewlett is one of the people behind one of my favourite bands of all time, Gorillaz. It is a good band, and I was surprised uh, in the preparation for the show to find out that the, that it wasn't just drawings based off of the people in the band, that it was actually just entirely virtual. See, I, I don't understand that myself, because um, you're talking about a, a green-skinned Satanist dude, a guy who's had his eyes knocked out. Well, I said based um, on, I didn't say exactly like. I know, I get that, but no, 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 it's, it's just two guys. Huh, and, and, that still blows, and that just blows me away. 
Well, it's one of those cl- cl- it's one of those collaborative collaborative. Yes, it's one of those collaborative things. But one another thing that really makes um, quite a clear influence is anime, and I think I'll let you talk about that. I'll let you talk that more about that because you understand it more than I do. Now, while I haven't seen Totoro, uh, which is a grave sin amongst the anime fandom, I have seen uh, a few of the, uh, Miyazaki's films, and uh, you can see the way that some of the creatures are built, that they uh, do resemble how they would be built in the uh, in, in Miyazaki films. But uh, myself, I recognize a lot from uh, Utena especially, since uh, I saw that one last year, especially with a lot of the rose motifs, that frame-for-frame frame mock battle between Pearl and the Hollow Pearl imitating the animation from the, uh, like, 90% of the fight scenes from the Utena anime. You see references to uh, Usagi Ujimbo in the uh, Garnet Universe episode, to Chrono Trigger with the in the same episode, a little bit to Ace Attorney with, oh, what was his name? R- uh, R- uh, Ronaldo as Ringo? I never saw that. Oh, uh, Ronaldo as Ringo sort of looks like... Um, Pearls, I don't know what it's called. Uh, oh, a hair, a hair. Well, well, yeah, but the hair and the uh, robes uh, look almost exactly like Pearl Faye's outfit. I had absolutely no idea, and this is really bad considering that's one of my favorite game franchises. <laughs> you are the moderator of Court Records. But you see a lot of uh, Dragon Balls and Tengen Tapa Guren Lagan. I mean, especially with the Dragon Ball. That's mostly some of the spectacle in it. I mean, anime for me when i think of um shonen anime that's the anime for um younger um male audiences there's a lot of quite a lot of shouting and quite a lot of punching people into of giant objects i can't deny that that's pretty much true <laughs> but you see like uh you know several uh little things the uh connie uh says itadakimasu before eating in the uh one of the future vision episodes the uh the Snowden episode. Okay. Uh, I don't know what that word means. It, it's basically like, um, it's translated as let's eat or let, uh, eat up or something like that. It, I, I don't know how it exactly translates. Also from the Garnet Universe episode, uh, the, uh, sitting under the waterfall. A lot of the way that different training things are, uh, are done. Uh, kaiju are also still a, a very big component in a lot of uh, action-oriented anime genres. Well, you need something to fight, and what better to fight than monsters? Well, true. You can't get in trouble for fighting monsters. There's uh, the fusions in uh, Steven Universe uh, are also... That was the big yes, one. Yes, very close to the uh, fusion dance from the Boo saga. But more of a literal dance instead of uh, whatever it is that uh, Go uh, Goten and Trunks were doing. Well, what they did was technically a dance, but it was more sort of choreographed moves. Yeah. Whereas in this, it's literal like dancing. It wasn't like the Ginyu Force poses. Oh, oh dear. Ginyu Force was amazing. Uh, they were, but it sort of just burned into my brain and I will never forget <laughs> them. Even when I want to. But uh, in, in many ways, they do subvert a lot of tropes like... Uh, you know, as opposed to your uh, Professor Utoniums or a lot of anime dads that are uh, very powerful and strong, etc. and so forth, you find Greg. To be fair, I like Greg. No, I like him too. I, he's a lovable character, but he is in strict dichotomy with the with other uh, TV dads. Uh, even more of a bumbler than, say, Jack Fenton from uh, Danny Phantom. That in itself is quite common. The bumbling dad is often in, um, I mean... The big thing for that would be The Simpsons. Right. I mean, I know it started majorly with that, but he's more of a loser than the usual bumbling dad. Yeah. Uh, in that that uh, he barely runs the car wash, barely makes enough of a living to live in inside of his van. He lives inside of a van in itself. Yes. And, and there's also very little... There's acceptance of Greg as a person, but people don't tend to congratulate him for living in a van and that he doesn't tend to live as well as say, Peter Griffin, though the, the, the his budget seems to fluctuate just for whatever seems funniest at the moment. Which I think is better, because let's be honest, people like Peter Griffin, Homer Simpson, I think Frank Grimes was right, there's no way that someone like Homer Simpson should be able to function. So it's kind of nice that yeah. in this case we have, you know, Greg, basically he's, he does his best. Well, I think it's sort of like the full circle, because Homer Simpson was intended to be a parody of the sitcom dad of the... Uh, 80s, 70s, 60s, so on and so forth. 
that instead of being all knowing like say uh, Andy Griffith, Homer was a bit a bit silly and a bit of a bumbler. And but then suddenly he became the norm. And uh, when you get shows like King of Queens, Eight Simple Rules, where the sitcom dad got sillier and sillier and sillier, and then we got our Peter Griffins, our, uh, what is his name from American Dad? Stan. I can't remember what his surname is, but he's called Stan. Yeah, Stan Smith. And they got so silly that Homer Simpson, to maintain that parody, had to get that much sillier to, make, to stay ahead and uh, continue to be a parody of the sitcom dad. And so Greg has sort of come to that full circle where he is sort of silly and bumbling, but the narrative doesn't constantly treat him as uh, successful. Well, the thing is, he's like he's successful where it counts, right? In that he's a pretty, he's a pretty good dad. Yeah, he's a good dad, and he's very and he's emotionally there for his son, but he's not all around successful as the uh, narrative seems to be for a lot of sitcom dads. I think you got that pretty well sorted out there so um the final thing we thought we'd look at is the musical influences oh man because um steve steven universe really likes to focus on its music um i think that's another thing that we actually got from adventure time and from friendship is magic and from for a while cartoons would sometimes have music in it like a uh, scooby-doo during a lot of its chase scenes or uh yeah but that was that was more background music yeah was kind of well josie annoying. and the pussycats that's more like it, yeah. And uh, Jabberjaw. Was Jabberjaw in the band? Yeah, Jabberjaw was... They were a band that would travel, and they would somehow get involved in the mysteries somehow. But it's a shark. Yes, and, and even... And Did shark the shark was, sing? Uh, based off of um, Three Stooges. Oh my gosh. Um, I, I forget which. I want to say Curly. I, I don't know. I've never watched the Three Stooges. I, I watched it when I was a kid, but I can barely remember anything. That might be a good thing. I mean, everyone knows the Marx Brothers are the kings of comedy. Oh, true. But you can't discount, you know, your Abbott and Costellos, and et cetera, and so forth. Oh, I'm not going to. By the way, um, you might want to look into Morecambe and Wise if you want to look at the British guys. Okay. They are really, really good. But uh, back to music. Yes, back to music. <laughs> but um, what I mean is, that's true, they were kind of about music, but they weren't really. I mean, when it comes to, like, music really being taken seriously... It probably was Jem that really started it. You know, Jem and the Holograms. Yeah, I, 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 well, I know them in that I know the name, but uh, that was a little before my time. Before mine too. I only found out about them in retrospect. Ah. But um, that was all about the music industry. Really, this is different. Shows like Adventure Time and uh, Friendship is Magic, they put the music in just because they like to make music. Right, but to a lesser extent, back in. Fairly Odd Parents and Spongebob, where uh, you'd find mm. songs somewhat more frequently than the normal show, but not as quite as frequently as, say, the shows that we were talking about. It all became part of expressing the internal things of a character. I think that it really comes from musical theatre. Not the way that they sing it, but just the fact that it's them expressing themselves. Well, true, and there was a time in movies where you were expected to have a dance number or a musical number in your film if your film was to be taken seriously at all in Hollywood. Uh, that, that was, was a long, long time ago, but... But the problem is that wasn't mixed in. There was no point to it. And then you got, well, I would say it's West Side Story, which was the first really, really great movie musical when it was literally about the music telling the story. Right, and then you got Fiddler... That was quite popular for, uh, God, when was that, the 60s, 70s? It just span off the whole new genre, which still is going today, which is good news. Oh, yeah. Though, I, I will say, though, to, if we're talking about entertainment that's aimed towards children and has a lot of music in it, The Muppets is one of the bigger players in the field. I think that makes a lot of sense, because it was based off the musical tradition, or if you're America, you'd know that as vaudeville. Right. Yeah, The Muppets really pushed that, because... It was a variety show, and they liked to pick things that you wouldn't possibly expect. They always wove humour into it as well. That was the main thing. There was always things going on in the background. There was a thing with Jim Henson in general, with uh, Fraggle Rock, with Labyrinth, with Little Shop of Horrors that he and uh, Frank Oz, I think his name is, uh, worked on. Yeah. Then there's, um, I can't remember the name of the show, but there was this really old show about otters, and Kurt's nephew was in it. I don't remember that one, I'm afraid. That one had a lot of songs as well. But to tie that back in to Steven Universe, that's the sort of heritage it had. But obviously when it comes to the actual music itself, the 
influences are a bit different? Yeah, from what I can tell from interviews, a lot of stated influences are uh, K-pop, Amy Man, who uh, ended up voicing Opal, uh, the fusion between Pearl and Amethyst. And of course, Estelle is not only an influence, but has helped uh, in the composition process, especially during Stronger Than You. Which was the um, song from the season one finale. Yeah, but before I uh, read all of this, the only way I could describe it was if They Might Be Giants, Bare Naked Ladies, Silent Hill composer Akira Yamaoka, and the Mega Man X3 uh, composer Kinuyo uh, Yamashita got together and just had one extended jam session. It has a lot of different sorts of styles to it. I mean, when you look at Rebecca Sugar's work on Adventure Time, because she did music too, it was just all over the place, um, and in a good way. Like, sometimes it'd be just like nice ukulele songs. And then, like, the dubstep in the middle of the Together Breakfast episode. Oh, or, um, no, a song about the dog, about how he's gonna make bacon pancakes. That, that was just from Adventure Time. Right. I mean, it's just hundreds of different styles. I think it's good that they're not pigeonholing themselves with the sort of music they want to make. Because like only you said before about the time travel episode, that was Stephen and the Stevens. Right. And that was that was very obviously going for a Jason and the Pussy. Sorry, Jason. Josie. Josie and the Pussy. Uh, yeah, sorry, I got, I got mixed up. In a, in a general throwback to uh, the sort of beach rock uh, of the 50s. Oh, yeah. I mean, sorry about that Jason and the Pussycats thing. I, I got mixed up with um, Fairly Odd Parents again. <laughs> Jason and the Argonauts? Yeah, there was one episode where... They're going through the books? Yes, Tom Sawyer kept messing with the books. <laughs> and one of them changed Jason and the Argonauts to Jason and the Pussycats. Oh, that was amazing. And I do think that's actually one of the weaknesses of, of a lot of the other shows that have music in them. With Animaniacs, you didn't know what you're going to get, but you knew what you're going to get within each like mini cartoon. Like if it was uh, Rita, you knew you were getting a lavish ballad number because it's Bernadette Peters. But when you have Bernadette Peters, you're going to go with that kind of number. Yeah, you're going to be some sort of musical theater type production. Um, you know, with Friendship is Magic, uh, they do tend to go into kind of different styles. But they tend to be, but they tend to be sort of uh, all very pop like. Oh yeah, you're not going to really see any rock in there. Yeah, pretty much. It's all. But I suppose that's what they were trying to go for. What they think that um, ladies like to listen to. Right. You know, girls. And then uh, with SpongeBob, it's hard to describe. It's sort of like um, mid '50s musical theater ish kind of thing. I don't know. I think for SpongeBob, it's all about whatever worked for the episode and the joke. It's, it's all parodies. Well, okay, I will say that Sweet Victory is the is the, maybe the exception to the rule, but then you have the Greasy Spoon song with the duet between SpongeBob and Mr. Krabs. Well, exactly, that's that's musical theatre, but I, I don't know, I, I'd say Sweet Victory does fit, because that is basically the 70s to 80s sports movie music. True, but my point is that you didn't really know what you're going to get with SpongeBob, and that it with Best Day Ever and such, it tends to be... Uh, and like the campfire song, it, it tends to be much in the same style, and uh, and I think that's what's special about uh, Steven Universe is where sometimes you're going to get pop, sometimes you're going to get like that throwback to fifties rock, you know that uh, one bit of sort of early eighties punk with the Steven and the Stevens band Revolt, the dubstep and Together Breakfast, the unmusic that was the fight scene between uh, Pearl and Amethyst. Uh, during the introduction to the uh, kindergarten. Sort of a country kind of feel for On the Run. Classic rock for Like a Comet. Pop with Stronger Than You. To bring back Stronger Than You, um, definitely having a um, recording artist as one of your main cast really to sort of influence how you're going to do certain songs, especially any sort of Garnet song, because um, Estelle is the voice of Garnet. Um, British people are probably more likely to know her than um, the Americans, I think. I don't know, but that she did the song American Boy. I'm not going to sing it for you. Don't ask me. I'm never, I'm never up on the times. I, 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 I find music that's new three years ago. Well, to be honest, this, this was like 2005 or 2003 oh. or something. <laughs> I'm way behind. I've just been informed that it's 2008 oh, by okay. a unseen voice from afar. 
Anyway, the point is, it depends on who you're working with. When you want to make music, it's all about who you want to sing it and who's going to be contributing, like, musically. Oh, yeah, I can see that. Um, I mean, when you go back to shows like Tiny Toons, which is more of a variety showish kind of show, you uh, never knew whether it's going to be, like, They Might Be Giants with an animated cover on top of it or a character singing a song or something such like that. And uh, whatever it did, it fit sort of the cast as they had it. But the main difference with that was, you know, sometimes you'd, um, I remember the Tiny Toons one where they did Yakety Yak. Yeah, yeah. Don't talk back. And I just think to myself, I, I can get why they did it, but on the other hand, it didn't say anything about anything. You know, it was just for your entertainment. Same with the Muppets, same with a lot of these shows. You know, like even things like Sweet Victory from SpongeBob, it was just a song to be triumphant. Well, I, actually, I will disagree with you on that last one, mostly because it is the one moment Squidward has ever gotten to win. Ever. Yeah, but what I mean is that's still a generic sort of victory. As in, you know, they're playing the song because Squidward finally wins. Right. But it's still not to do with Squidward, whereas you get songs like the song from Full Disclosure. Oh, I see that. Sort of the Stephen's going through the sort of Spider-Man dilemma. Yeah, and he, it's all about how he feels about his best friend. And the same way Stronger Than You is about how Garnet feels about, well, what's happened. I'm not going to right. go into that because that'll be for a later well, episode. We've already gone into spoilers already. Yeah, but not that far. I'm, we can't say everything right now. We're only on the first episode. Spoil all the things now! No, it's all right. We'll just carefully portion out the spoilers. <laughs> uh, I would point out that we will be talking about the series going forth, and thus, if we know about it and it's about that character, we will say it. So um, what we'll do is is that pretty much in the introduction to every show from now on, we will be telling you, oh yeah, by the way, there's going to be spoilers, and hopefully that will be all right with you guys. We should probably like do something in post, like, hey, there's going to be spoilers. I'll probably add that in. Oh, I might just cut that bit out, just there, and just paste it back <laughs> in. It's going to be great for the listeners, because they'll be like, oh, wait, that's where that came from. Yeah. Ah. So, to wrap up, look, we've been looking at how Steven Universe, uh, the influences, but I think for me, uh, looking at it, it just makes me realise how everything that we make, like, as humans, we sort of build on what's gone before. Originality comes from us taking bits of things that have been done, and tweaking them to the point where they suddenly become ours. And I feel like, especially when it comes to Steven Universe, there's so many, you know, shows, especially shows I liked as when I was a kid, and they're being brought back as parts of Steven Universe. But it's not like you're just sitting there going, oh, well, there's that bit, and there's that bit, oh, this is so boring. I think it really works, because when it comes to shows, it's often about what's done with it. It's... it's a good show is more than the sum of its parts. And as much as we can talk about influences, I think the most important thing isn't so much what influences you is, is as opposed to how you deal with that. My final thought is just basically uh, this show for me is not only the culmination in uh, things I've liked, like the Jackie Chan Adventures, the uh, Animaniacs, Freakazoid, Muppets, Utena, Dragon Ball, Sailor Moon, it's the culmination shows that it, that are showing that as a culture, as a planet, we are starting to come together in how we make our shows and how cultures are starting to interweave themselves. And I think that's just very wonderful. And that I realize that it doesn't replace the education of what's actually going on in you know Europe and Canada and South America and Africa and Asia. But as we come to closer together with these shows that reference things from very far away, uh, that it brings us that bit closer together and maybe that will lend itself to becoming more aware of ourselves, not in, just in the place we immediately are, but us and our world and how we can come together more. But I was just amazed by how much of my childhood came from Canada uh, with Nelvana. I have to admit, I have to agree with that. I had no idea that the Muppets came from Britain. I mean, like Jim Henson and stuff, they were, um, they were all Americans, but they came over to Britain and they used our studios and we, we put it on ITV, you know, one of our networks. It sort of helped it through the uh, shaky first couple of years. So that's the thing, like, when you look at the world and animation and just television in general, I tend to find that it's often about cross-cultural thing, like people from different places helping each other often comes out as the best. And we've grown a lot more from 
Aztec mummy versus the robot. Uh, we've come a long way from that. There's still room to grow you know, today, but there you can see how we've grown from 50, 60 years ago when uh, we would reference things that are from other cultures, like uh, the Puma Man. If you know anything about Aztec culture, you know more than the writers of Puma Man. Well, as they say, if a fish stops swimming, <laughs> it's dead. I think that's the same for um, any sort of medium. Actually, it's just the shark that is dead when it stops moving, but there are exceptions to that rule where like, it likes to get belly scratches. I didn't know that. You, you know quite a bit, fair bit about sharks. Uh, I just learned it from my friends that like sharks. Fair enough. Well, that about wraps it up for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I did. That's good. And if you did enjoy it, there are several things that you can do that can help us. For a start, if you are listening to us through iTunes... It would be great if you could give us a review. Unless you didn't like it, just, you know, then don't say anything. Oh, that's a bit unfair. I think you guys should be honest. <laughs> we'll, we'll never learn, we'll never grow if you don't uh, tell us how to deal with that. So you can also subscribe by subscribing to our podcast, either through SoundCloud or through iTunes or whatever podcast app you use. If you could just subscribe us, then you will get these episodes whenever they come out. And it also helps bump us up on all of the listings. So that would be wonderful if you do that. Another thing you could do is we have both a Twitter feed and we have Facebook. So if you search for Crystal Gemcast, you'll find it there. We'd love to keep contact with you. You know, if you want to write anything to us, we'll be happy to uh, see what you have for us. Not to mention you can catch us via TM Stash, a uh, up-and-coming site. All of our shows will be linked to TM Stash as they come out. That's a very good point. I think the final thing we need to do is just to wish you a happy whatever time you're listening to us. It's a goodbye from me. And bye! That was the Crystal Gemcast. Our credits music, Stronger Than You, was written by Estelle and Rebecca Sugar and arranged and performed by UC Berkeley. Steven Universe was created by Rebecca Sugar and is a production of Cartoon Network Studios. Thanks for listening.